Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Joel Fair, and if we haven't met, I'm, uh, I have the privilege of being the, the church plant pastor here at Cross Point Coast Cape. And actually, uh, today we celebrate a year of meeting in this pavilion. So last, uh, last month we celebrated a, a year of gathering, um, but we moved and transitioned into this pavilion in the first week of October of last year, and, and God has been gracious and kind to us in the midst of that, um, it, I, I'm coming off of a cold, and I have very little voice, and yet God, I believe, has preserved enough for us to hear from His Word today, and so I'm so thankful, because we, we take it for granted that He would be kind enough to proclaim His good news to us regularly. And we, all, we, we almost get uh, immune to it. We talk a lot about immunization right now, but we, we become immune to it, where it just kind of bounces off of us, and it's just this thing that we hear a lot. But we've had the privilege now for a year of gathering together as the church to point each other to Jesus. Not, not one guy in the front telling everybody else what to do, but we as the church gather and we say, hey, look at our God. Oh, great is our God. And we get to do that together. What a gift. And so this morning, I'm just thankful for that. Um, my wife and my kids are home because now they're getting the cold that I had a little earlier. Um, and, and so they've got some scratchy throats this morning, but we've, we took some tests. We're negative, so that's good. Um, we're thankful for that. But I want you to know that as we gather, we do this together every week. And so we cannot say, you know what, I I believe in Jesus, and I believe maybe in Scripture, but I I just don't like the church. That's not really an option we're given, because God is forming a bride for himself as the church. And so we get to experience what that is like in each other's weaknesses and each other's strengths continuously. And so I'm thankful for the gift of the church this morning. One thing you may not know about me, even if you've been here for a long time, is I have two younger brothers. My brother Luke is two years younger than me, and my brother Jared is five years younger than me. And growing up, we would um, we we spent a lot of time together. My dad was in the Navy. We moved around. We were like best friends because most of the time we were the only friends each other had. Um, Every two years we were moving. When I was really young, and Dad would go out to sea. That's going to happen probably quite a few times, and I'm okay with it because God's really working on my approval idol, um, and so he, he's really kind. He's, my voice is probably going to crack a lot, but my dad would go out to sea, and my brothers, we, I had the biggest bed because I was the oldest, and so they would want to come sleep with me, and, and I had a rule. You could sleep with me, but if we found out that the door was open after we all got in bed... I wasn't the one that was going go to get out because it was my bed. Like, you can sleep there, but now you're my minion. So when that closet door that we always left open is open, and I'm scared, like really scared, because I know everything that's in that closet, but when it's dark, I have these imaginations that there's something else in that closet. And I'm the oldest, and I'm not supposed to be scared. It didn't matter. I was scared. And I'd be like, hey, Luke, you got to go get it. He's like, I got it last time. Jared, you got to go get it. Jared's like, I'm the youngest. Like, you, I shouldn't have to go do this. You guys shouldn't be scared. And we're like, yeah, well, if you want to sleep in my bed, you got to go get it. That was our rule. Listen, there was nothing in that closet. 
It was just all in my head, and it was all in all of our heads. But that's what we did as brothers, and, and that's the way that I kind of manipulated things, and I've, I've done that a lot in my life. So there's, there's some more of our confession continuing. But the reality is that in that closet, there was nothing worth fearing. Today we're going to look, and we're going to see that this, the disciples are afraid. As they're out on the water, they see Jesus, and he's walking on the water, and they're like, whoa. That's, that's crazy. They didn't even recognize him. They thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a phantom. Listen, these are the disciples that this is their job. This has been their labor their whole lives to be out on this water, to not get caught in storms. And we've seen in like two, two three chapters of Mark, they've been caught in storms twice. These guys are not good sailors. Okay? Caleb, you like to sail. Don't be like these guys. They just get caught in the storm all the time, right? Which, if, if you love to surf, that's not so bad, right, Keith? We, we pray for a good surf, good storm that causes some waves. But if you're out there in the middle of the night, like the disciples are, and the storm comes, they get, they get scared. They get scared. And then they create things in their own mind that are not even real. And so we're going to see what Jesus does, because Jesus is going to come and he's going to do three things today. First, we see that he rests, and this is kind of this ongoing theme that we have throughout the book of Mark. Jesus, last week, taught his disciples to rest, and this week we're going to see him model resting. Jesus rescues. He actually comes and he, he changes the circumstances of what they were living in. And finally, we're going to see that Jesus reveals. He reveals who he is to his disciples, and he challenges, challenges them with the gift of faith and belief. So let's pray that God would challenge us too and give us the gift of faith and belief this morning. God, we thank you so much that you are kind, that you are patient, that you are real. Jesus, we thank you that um, you humbled yourself you came as a human, and yet you are fully God. And, and so, Lord, help us to wrap our minds around that today. Help us to understand that. And that because those two things are true, both your humanity and your deity, you could be the perfect sacrifice to one who would reconcile confessing sinners like us to a holy God. But yeah, we pray that this proclamation would be made throughout the world today. Lord, that some would hear it for the very first time and say, I didn't even know that, and I want to know more. God, and that for others of us who have heard it many, many times, we would, we would hear it and we'd say, I, I don't even believe that, but I want to believe more. So Lord, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the working of your word, make that proclamation through your church today. We pray for the, the Crosspoint Coast churches in Brevard, Lord, for Justin and Jeremiah that as they proclaim that, God, your name would be lifted high. We pray for Wego, the, the mission in Mongolia and Nicaragua, Lord. We pray for John Minton and the Minton family in South Africa. Lord, we pray for the Fast family in Portland. God, so many people that you have grafted us together with that would proclaim and make much of who you are. We pray that today that would change and transform and conform lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark 6, you know, you read it and you're like, man, this is just a story. Like, what are we supposed to take from this? this, this it's a story that happened to the disciples. It's a story that, again, we're going to have a little bit of a hard time believing. Just like last week, 
Jesus took five loaves and a couple fish and he fed 5,000, more than 5,000 people. Right? And we, we all got questions when we get to heaven for that. Well, now we get another one. Here's Jesus and he comes and he walks on the water. And before you start doing the math or, or start overthinking this and saying, well, I've heard that the Dead Sea is like really buoyant. This isn't the Dead Sea, all right? It's the Sea of Galilee. So don't, don't even try to figure it out. If we try to, to use uh, science and the things that we, we want to rest on for certainty, right? We're looking for certainty because uncertainty, a God who can walk, a man who can walk on the water makes us all feel really uncomfortable. And we see that in the disciples today. So don't, let, the, let God's word speak for itself. But there's a couple things that we want to pull out. Verse 45, this verse is mainly transition, just transitioning us from where Jesus is feeding the 5,000 to now where they would be on the lake. It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. So Jesus had called the disciples last week. They had gone on mission. He had sent them in, in his name with his authority to go and do the work that they've been watching him do. And they come back and they tell him what happened and they're like rejoicing. God, everything that you said, it happened. Everything that we needed, you supplied. You changed lives through our work. People were saved. People were healed. Demons were cast out in your name. And Jesus takes them and he knows that they're tired from the labor and he tries to to take them to a place of rest. Well, the crowds found out that Jesus was there. Jesus is starting to become a really big deal. And so they, they followed him, and, and the disciples didn't get the rest that they needed. Maybe they did. We're not, we're not necessarily told. But here, now after that scenario, Jesus is going to rest. Listen, if there's something that we take from that, it's the reality that this Jesus that we read about in Mark is fully human. Like, we all get tired. We all get hungry, right? So we saw physical needs that the, the crowd had. Jesus had those same needs. He needed to eat. He needed to rest because he was fully man. That plays a big deal when we get into the piece of the atonement. Like, if Jesus is not fully man, then he can't pay for mankind in his death and His brokenness, and His resurrection. And so we have to believe that. And so we have these beautiful nuggets in Scripture that tell us of Jesus' humanity. Jesus went away to rest. How does Jesus rest? He spends time with the Father. He goes to the source of strength. To the source of identity. Listen, that's a big piece here. All these crowds that are beginning to gather are calling Jesus to identify as something that he has not come to identify as. These crowds are coming and they're starting to think, man, this guy's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to overthrow Rome. Get rid of the oppressor. And I'm going to have freedom finally. And they're hoping that he's going to do this thing. But Jesus goes to the Father because that's not what Jesus is called to do. 
He's not called to tear down the Roman Empire. He's called as a humble servant king. And when we've looked at Mark, we've seen Mark presses this issue like he is Lord and yet he is compassionate and kind. He is a God who is over all things and yet he lays down all things for those that he loves. This humble servant king is different from what the crowd is demanding and what they want. And so Jesus sends the disciples away, he disperses the crowd, and he goes back to the Father to rest. And he goes to the Father for that sense of identity again. God, who do you say that I am? Who have you called me to be? And we saw it in Mark 1. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen, you hear that once and it it becomes like this thing that you have to have. You go back to it and you go back to it and you go back to it because you're like, man, God, would you say that again? Will you tell me again who I am? Because everybody else is saying a different thing. Who do you say that I am? And so Jesus goes and he goes to the mountain to pray, to spend time with the Father, to remember who he is, to remember that his mission is not complete, to remember that, listen, this is not the hardest thing you're going to do. There's going to be more, and yet I'm with you always. And so Jesus rests. He's human. He needs rest. Listen, but Jesus is also God. We see it really quick. We saw it in him needing to rest, and yet a couple of verses later in verse 47, it says, And when evening came, the boat the boat that the disciples are on, that Jesus put them on. Sometimes we forget that. It's not that these disciples are running away. No, Jesus put the disciples on the boat, put them out to sea, and all of a sudden they're on this boat. He's, a, he's alone on land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Listen, Jesus put them in this place of, where they had to paddle. He knew the storms were coming. He's God. And often when we're in the midst of the storm, we think, oh, this can't be God. God doesn't do things like this. God says that he does everything for my good. Yeah, yeah. who gets to define good? He does. And His good is often placing us in a place of desperate dependence on Him. Desperate need of Him. That's the greatest gift that, it, that we were just praying about it before, that He would strip us of any thought that we could do this on our own. That is the kindness of God. That he would expose grace for what it is rather than me taking it for granted. And so we come and we say, God, I need you. And the disciples are crying out. They're paddling. They're they're like, where's Jesus? Like the one time we need him. He's not even sleeping in the back of the boat this time. Where is he? And they're paddling. And like I said, you'd think that they'd be better sailors, but... I don't know. This is just the situation that they're in. The good news is a lot of us think that we're really good at the jobs that we do. We think that we're good fathers, that we're good husbands, that we're good uh, moms, teachers. We're good work in our workplace. And yet, we have to be in daily dependence on God. These disciples that should have known how to navigate the waters 
they have a need for Jesus. And so they, they, they get scared in the moment. And what does Jesus do? <laughs> he said when he, in 48, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He went to pass by them, but, while, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. <clears throat> Jesus goes to them. We talked last week about Jesus being moved with compassion. We, we think that a good God wouldn't put us in bad situations. We think that a good God wouldn't put us in a place where uh, we're out of control, where life is uncertain. And yet a good God will give us the greatest thing that we need all the time, and it's his, Himself. And He will strip away the other things that we run to other than Him because He is a good God. Because He's the only one that can meet every need that we have. And so Jesus, moved with compassion, sensing the distress of the disciples, goes to them. Listen, when it says He went to pass by them, it's not saying that he was trying to like walk around them. He was going to them. What we're going to see is that uh, Mark is actually making a throwback. Remember, Mark is writing this gospel to uh, Jewish believers who would have an idea of the Old Testament. And so even when he says Jesus went to pass by them, he's referencing the God of the Old Testament who passes by Moses. And so there's a, there's a call out there to remember that, that Jesus that we're talking about, while He's both human, He's also fully God. This God-man. And so Jesus goes to Him. And what we find out is that Jesus going to them and changing the circumstances is not, the, the rescue that they need is not a change of circumstances. The rescue they need is Jesus in the boat with them. Often we think, God, if you would just change the circumstances, that's the rest. That's what I need. But God, in His infinite grace and kindness, exposes that even those things that we think we need won't satisfy us. And then He tells us that we have Him. And that's it. It's more than enough. It satisfies every need, every desire that we would have. And so Jesus goes to them. And He says this, they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, so they, they, they're terrified because they don't recognize him. They're scared because they think that he's a ghost or a phantom. And so Jesus speaks to them out of his kindness and says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Listen, it's me, it's Jesus, I'm with you. The thing that you need most, I'm here. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased Jesus changes the circumstances for them. But he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to stop the storm. He does. But the greatest gift that he gives them is not the stopping of the storm and the calming of the seas. It's that he's in the boat with them. God in flesh came to us. That's the gift we have in Jesus. 
That's a gift that he's giving to the disciples. So we have Jesus that rests. Jesus rests. Jesus rescues. And finally, Jesus reveals. Listen, look at the words that Jesus says with me. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. We see take heart, and we see do not be afraid, and we're like, yes, I can cling to those things. I need to, we just need to not be afraid. I just need to tell Luke and Jared, just don't be afraid, there's nothing bad in there. Right? We just need to fix those things. We need to conjure up enough bravery and confidence in ourselves Listen, but that's not what Jesus is offering them. He's not saying, hey, just get it together. And yet I say that to my kids. And we just need to be honest about this. Like, can we be ambassadors of Christ as parents? Rather than demanding that, that people around us fix themselves, can we be ambassadors of Christ? You don't have to fix yourself. Christ has come. He is the payment. He is fixing you. Let's look again look again to Jesus. And so you guys can keep praying for me in that. With my children in particularly. So the, the, the gift that Jesus gives is not the take heart. And it's the, not the do not be afraid. It's the middle piece. It's three very small words. Five letters. It is I. It is I. When you look at that, um, it again marks speaking to a context that would have the Torah and all of Scripture in mind. It is I. How did, you, how did God reveal himself to Moses in the desert in the burning bush? What did, what did he say his name was? Does anybody remember? It's really short, too. It's I am. This God, from the very beginning, has revealed Himself in this way. He came to Moses, and out of the burning bush, He says, I am. Tell them that I am sent you. And here is Jesus in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the struggle, and He comes to them and He says, Take heart. Do not be afraid. And we say, yeah, we just need to just not be afraid. We just need to fix these things that men... I just need to fix these things that God's given me. And then I'll be better. The reality is that it's the same message. I am. It is I. God, creator of the universe, has now come and he's become man. Emmanuel. God with us. God in the flesh. Jesus comes to his disciples and he's giving them another another picture of who he is not just the human Jesus that they know that they've seen tired maybe a little irritable I don't know how much irritable he has to be to be a sinner wasn't that irritable but probably tired right hungry they've seen him he, he's their friend and yet when he comes to them in the midst of the storm in the midst of the trial he says it is I this is the reference that this is God Himself in the boat. What did you and I need? What do we need? 
Do we need to, to fix these things? Do we need to just try harder? Because that's the American way. No, we need God Himself in the boat. The one who can save us from ourselves. Because we're going to keep trying and we're going to keep striving. And in the end, we're going to find out that it wasn't enough. That my work and my labor could not get me out of what I was in. The rescue in the midst of the storm is God coming close. Jesus' presence. And we're going to see that, that God coming close is not just for this moment. It's not just for the disciples in the boat. God coming close in the person of Jesus was for all of us. Was for each of us. Now it's very tangible in that moment. I don't want you to lose sight of that and, and, and begin to, to think, well, all of these stories are just pointing to this bigger picture. No, for the disciples right there, they're scared for their lives and Jesus came and he calmed the storm and it actually got better. But there is a bigger picture. Remember we talk often about like as Jesus comes, he's seeing people He's being moved with compassion. He's meeting real needs. He's healing the sick. He's making the blind see. He's raising the dead. But he always knows that in the end, there's a, there's a bigger goal in mind. He was not sent just for those, but for all of mankind. And so Jesus comes and he's revealed as God incarnate. Exodus 3.17, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I said, Jesus comes and he says, it is I. The disciples now register, oh man, I am sent him. This is the king that we've been waiting for. We thought it might be true. The disciples, last time they were in the boat, at the end when Jesus calms the storm and the seas and everything goes glass and the wind completely dies down, now they get terrified and they say, who is this? And here's Jesus on the, on the seas in the midst of the storm answering their question, who is this? And he says, it is I. I am the God-man. This passing before us that we talked about earlier, Exodus 33 and 34, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because the, the Israelites have just sinned against God and Moses has to go back to God and he intercedes for the people. And God promises that he will come to Moses and he says, but I'm going to have to pass by you. You can't see me. You're going to have to have your back turned away from me. I'm going to cover you and I'm going to pass by and you'll just see the back of my glory. Couldn't see God. And yet here are the disciples and they're saying, I see Him. I see Jesus. He's walking on the water and it's, it, I was terrified because I didn't recognize Him. But now I see that is God and I'm seeing Him in His glory. In Colossians, Paul writes to the church in Colossae and he says, He is the fullness of God. Jesus is the fullness of God in human form. All of this points to another Old Testament passage that might even be older than what we read in Exodus. In Job 9, 8, and 11, 
Job 9, 8 says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the seas? Here's Jesus walking on the water, fulfilling this beautiful image of who is God. And then verse 11, Behold, he passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Listen, today we, we've seen Jesus rests, Jesus rescues, Jesus reveals. So the question today is the same one that the disciples have. Who do you think he is? Who do you believe Jesus to be? It's the most important question you will ever ask yourself. Joel, that seems like a little bit of hyperbole. You're awfully big on yourself with that question, aren't you? Like, that's the most important question I'm going to ask myself? Yes. Yeah. It's the most important question you're going to ask your neighbor, hopefully. It's the most important question you're going to ask your coworker. Who do you think Jesus is? Is he just a man that we should all aspire to because he did all these really good things? Is he just a really good encourager? Take heart. Do not be afraid. He's that guy that had the perfect word for anybody that needed it at that time. Now this question that we have, it's a matter of life and death. Scripture's clear. There will come a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some of them, their knee will be bent to bow. And some of us will run and throw ourselves down in worship. Jesus himself says that this question is the most important one. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, we, we got, man, Philip, thank you for prayer confession. We have these, these gospels that we run to other than the one that is true. A gospel, a Jesus and gospel. Like, I, I know that Jesus has done all this, but now I need to go and do more. You cannot add to what Jesus has done. You cannot work and perform to earn it. It is a gift of grace given on behalf of the compassionate God who loves us and gave himself for us to redeem a broken, rebellious people for himself. That is the good news. That's where we stand. And tomorrow, when it seems like we have success, we stand in the same thing. And the next day, when it feels like we're utter failures, we stand in the same thing. And we run to this Jesus. I am. It is I. That Jesus. And we say, God, you are true. You are both fully God and fully man. And if what I read in Scripture is true, then that means that you went to the cross. Because as Jesus gets onto this piece of wood in the boat and settles the storm, there's another piece of wood that he's going to get on. And he's going to be nailed to that tree for you and for me. For both the disciples in that moment, these hard-hearted disciples, read that with me. Last verse. It says, And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You're like, how did the disciples have hardened hearts? Like, they've been with Jesus. Listen, in our, our trying to conceive and understand and rationalize everything out, we're not going to figure it out. What we need and what God has given is the gift of grace that would soften a hard heart. 
to say, I believe. I believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he atoned for my sins. I believe that when Jesus rose from the dead, he proved that my sin is defeated. When he walked perfect righteousness, he walked it on my behalf so that I could walk in righteousness now if I am in Christ. Listen, this is what we cling to today. What do you believe about Jesus? Answer that question. Keep asking it. Ask your friends. Ask those that you care about. Ask your enemies. Because Jesus says to love your enemies. This is the most loving question we can ask. Who do you think Jesus is? If we believe that he's God incarnate, come to pay for our sins, that we could have life eternal, man, that's good news. And let's preach that good news. Let's tell that good news to a dying world that needs to hear it. Amen? Amen. God, you are good. You are kind. Lord, we pray that our eyes will have been opened today. God, that even, even if it's just a beginning work that you're doing, that it would continue. God, that we would trust in you. Because that's what you made us to do. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in, the, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That if we see Jesus, we see God. We see God the Father and God the Spirit. The triune God who has worked all of eternity for His glory and our good. Lord, we thank You for this. I pray that You would give us a gift of faith today. We trust You and believe in Jesus' name. Amen.